Support for Pivot comes from BetterHelp. How do you know when your social battery is running on empty? Maybe you get a little snippy with your friends or perhaps Scott Galloway. Or maybe you just fantasize about canceling plans, creating one excuse after. You're fantasizing about me? No, 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 never. You're fantasizing about me. Again? Again? Not once. Not once. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. Get off my ad right now. All right. Canceling plans, creating one excuse after another, why you have to stay in. I do that to Scott all the time. It's not easy to keep track of how much socializing is right for you. Therapy can help you build more awareness of what you need and when. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy with licensed professionals. Scheduling is convenient and finding a therapist suited to your style is quick and easy. And we all know Scott Galloway needs therapy. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. You can visit betterhelp.com slash pivot today. Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pivot. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. Well, welcome back again, Scott. Fresh off your appearance on Bill Maher, no less. Let's play a clip of your glorious return to that show. If you believe, as I do, that there is no separation between the CCP and a Chinese company who can disappear a CEO for four weeks, if you believe that the CCP has a vested interest... You're talking about the Communist Party in in China. China. Okay. And if you believe there's, the CCP has a, a vested interest in diminishing our standing globally, and then you also acknowledge that people under the age of 18 are spending more time on TikTok than they're spending on every streaming network combined, are we comfortable, are we down with an organization that wants to undermine America controlling the media our children see? It should be banned full stop. Whoa. Wow. You said this at Code. You talked about this in your presentation, which was great. And also several of the other uh, uh, people on stage agreed with you. Matthias Dopfner from from Axel Sprenger, who we interviewed. And also, you know, a lot of the other ones seem to say that, seem to have that that idea. He said outright ban. He's resisting going on TikTok. But a lot of people said the same thing. And you were very quite explicit about that. So talk a little bit about that. Well, I think so. There's sort of a bit of a, a Twitter kerfuffle um, that broke out online, saying um, people saying you're distracting from the larger point, and how mm-hmm. can you say this about TikTok? This is just jingoism or xenophobia. Ah, uh, jingoism. Yeah, I hadn't heard that in a while. That's a word um, in school. A Washington Post reporter said this MF, which I think means motherfucker, doesn't mm-hmm. understand TikTok. Um, which one? It, the one that's on TikTok. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know. Anyway, someone, he shouldn't be doing that. A very, a very aggressive person. In the Washington Post thinks it's yeah. going to make them look younger. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I'm just uncomfortable mm-hmm. with a a platform that can put basically what I f- feel is like an electronic node or a direct cable line into the the brainstem 
of our our kids under the age of 18 who are now spending more time on yeah. TikTok than every streaming network combined. And and someone online correctly pointed out that there is no no direct evidence that they are doing what you're accusing them of. And I want to acknowledge that point. But here's mm-hmm. the thing. I don't want them to have the potential to do it. Mm-hmm. And it it strikes me as just just naive to think that uh, the CCP, if they have this sort of uh, inroad into an addictive Absolutely. substance, it's kind of what Come the on. British did it's to the Chinese with their opium, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think more to the point is I, several, you know, you people who are in the U.S. TikTok don't like this either. You know what I mean? They think, mm-hmm. one, you have to separate the really good product from yep. the ownership, right? 100%. That's um, the, that's the correct like, issue. You know, it's just like the Saudis owning things. Like, I've always been a critic of Saudi investment because they're murderous thugs, you know, of Jamal Khashoggi. Yeah. And I want to point that out. If you're going to take that money, be aware of whose hands you're holding, essentially. Right. And then secondly, um, it's a great product. We think it's a great product. We think it's a, we see why it's a good product. It's a it's a better product than a lot of products. Better than Facebook for sure. It's better than Twitter. It's be, you know it's like Snapchat. It's, but it's better than it's fantastic. And it's well done. Yeah, well done. Yeah. But I think the issue is this is the Chinese government, and I'm sorry to report, but they are a an authoritarian. I mean, we can talk about our authoritarianism in this country, and it exists, and everything else. That's their modus operandi. Our government's looking at it. There's oracles involved. There's all kinds of things. But let's be clear. The Chinese government is, an, is, is a surveillance economy. And, and if we complain about it here, boy, wait till you go over to China and live over there. Um, and so I think that's, it's not jingoistic to point that out. It's not at all. The idea that, that I thought Matthias had, which is most, is we're, we're resisting putting our stuff up there. He said he's not going to not do it, Right. He said well, he, I'm on he, it uh, yeah. because here's the thing. Uh, and I'm also advertise mm-hmm. my online education firm on Instagram because I'm not going to disarm unilaterally. You can't yeah. get across nuance, unfortunately, in a format like Bill Maher. But there is some nuance and in between, and that is a spin of the firm, mm-hmm. ensuring that all the data runs through yeah. strictly U.S. servers. So think in Singapore, yeah. That's, they say because, that it is. I just – it has to be separated. Because the word ban is a very blunt tool. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. And I do think that there are a lot of people at TikTok who deserve economic upside. And I, yeah. I usually when the idea of the government in, coming in and banning something, I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, that's a pretty, a pretty blunt instrument. But anyone who has kids who – and people say, actually, I'm doing some research on this right now. YouTube mm-hmm. actually commands more attention. Mm-hmm. Then TikTok among children. And they're like, well, why aren't you worried about YouTube? And there is something different about the effect that so, – so I find with my uh, 12-year-old, he mm-hmm. does search and destroy on YouTube. He goes, mm-hmm. I want to see the highlights from the Bayern Munich game. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to see a YouTube video on how to install batteries on this type of handset. Mm-hmm. He sits on his side like he's just taken a, a hit of opium. And he just watches it, and the yeah. algorithm says, how do we take him deeper and deeper and deeper? I think literally in a 48-hour period, if they decided to weigh in, and you wouldn't even know they're doing it, mm-hmm. they could sway elections. They or could. they could decide, you know what? We're going to have uh, – there's, there's another um, protest or protests emerging or blowing up all over the nation, mm-hmm. as some have over the last couple of years, and we're going to inflame it among young well, people. they could. They certainly, and they have lots of other things. Anyway, great appearance, Scott. Thank you. We have a lot to talk about, but I think you're right. I think it's something to discuss. And 
calling you an MF. I'm going to find out who that is and give them a talking to. Anyway, today we'll talk about- Mama's way in Mama's. I see you're wearing a Washington Post t-shirt there. Do you know democracy dies in darkness? Yeah, I wear, I, isn't that ironic? I wear yeah. Washington Post. I love the Washington Post. Anyway, uh, today we'll talk about the latest drama at Twitter, a kinder, softer Bob Chapik. Bob, too, is- Grow a beard. Why a potential vice media deal is raising eyebrows. Plus, we'll speak with Bloomberg reporter Mark Bergen, who used to work for Kara Swisher, about mm. his new book on the rise of YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, but first, let's let's cover these very quickly. Twitter whistleblower Peter Mudge Zatko testifies to the Senate today. Last mm-hmm. week, we learned that Twitter paid Mudge a severance of more than $7 million just past June, which Elon Musk is trying to make a big deal out of and saying, now the severance violates the terms of their deal and citing another reason why Elon should be law. This is ridiculous. They pay severances like this. This is all, I was all like, that's time. kind of, I was like, that's not very much, actually. Um, I remember a Google guy who was a real problem there got $40 million. Anyway. So the most outrageous golden parachute ever was when Marissa Merritt Yahoo fired Enrique de Castro. I think I got that right. She yes, brought them did. over. She brought him over to do biz dev. He lasted 15 months, and then she had to pay out a severance uh, worth $58 million. By the way, the board the board's wet on this one. They likely approved that severance package. Yes, indeed. I wrote a lot about Enrique. I helped move him that direction. Uh, he was really not uh, up for that job, and that was a, not a very good hire from her. The lawyers in Musk know, like, okay, we're wrong. We're all wet. We're going to lose mm-hmm. this case. Let's try and find any Honestly, technicality possible. They're literally going to be like they served a lunch that was too much. Hey, Elon, this is not a lot of money, and you know it. It's not a lot of severance money. I know it seems like, and I'm going to get all, oh, Kara says $7 million is not a money. No, it's not. Not in Silicon not Valley in for severance world. payments. Not in this world. And many people have gotten severance I was surprised about how low it was compared to all the others we've written about, I've written about over the many years. Um, and that was even 10 years ago. They were 40, 50 million on average, pretty much for high level people like this. You know, it just didn't work out with him is what it is. And uh, there's all kinds of uh, a noise about his bad managerial skills. And, you know, maybe it wasn't a fit. But and then now he's complaining about it at this unusual time. Again, very well regarded. Timing seems weird. Elon, this is not going to get you out of a deal. Stop making yeah. excuses. You're, yeah, and by the way, that judge uh, has has not allowed it to go any longer till, till mid-October is when it happens. He can put the mudge things in, but she did reiterate, you signed a deal without any kind of um, ability to complain about things and um, uh, without any due diligence. So here you are. Anyway, uh, while we were chatting with former Disney CEO Bob Iger at Code this past week, his successor, Bob Chapik, was getting ready for Disney's massive annual fan event, the D23 Expo near Disneyland. I had been invited by Bob, too, to come to that the weekend after Code, but I did not because I needed to sleep. Over the Mm -hmm. weekend, more than 100,000 fans turn up to find out about upcoming Disney movies, new theme park rides, see Disney stars. Uh, They're all there. By the way, the New York Times covered the event. Very good piece, actually, by uh, Brooks Barnes. It was a chance for Bob, too, to, quote, rebrand himself after a difficult start. The headline of the article by Barnes, again, read, Disney CEO pitches warmer, fuzzier side. Speaking of fuzzy, he has a beard. He seems... He's wearing sh- regular shirts and suits. Um, you know, he's he's an au- more awkward person, as you saw. Bob Iger looks fantastic mm-hmm. and as smooth as silk. Why do you think he has to to do that? Well, in a twenty four by seven environment where CEOs are constantly, it's the same reason why. So, code is mm-hmm. absolutely like. You couldn't do that any better. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I think these conferences are struggling a little bit is mm-hmm. that. 
is that you have so much access. These people are so present all the time. Everything mm -hmm. they say is on video. Their yeah. conference calls are recorded. They're not only very accessible, but they're under constant media lights. Mm -hmm. And the embodiment of the brand, if you look at the most successful companies over the last 20 years who've managed to get cheaper capital and then use mm -hmm. that capital to pull the future forward, mm -hmm. they all have one thing in common, and that is they have an incredibly charismatic uh, leader who's sort of this 3D embodiment of the brand. And unfortunately, that charisma has become too important. Yeah. And uh, people want someone to enthrall them and excite them yeah. and be an incredible spokesperson. Yeah, they want a character. Yeah, that's 100%. And here's the thing. Bob Chapek is more kind of the old school CEO. I get the feeling he's an operator. Mm -hmm. But somebody has said to him, you know, his his board, his CMO has said, you know what, boss? It's Christina Shockey who's the, they brought her in. She's helped uh, Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, Instagram she was at. She's quite a talented. Uh, she replaced the guy from BP who sort of screwed up the don't say gay thing. But I think she's like start to be a person. Start to be well, a writer. It, it, you hate to say it, but here's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Disney probably trades it. I don't know. It's such an incredible asset. He'll get another turn on EBITDA if they can make Bob more likable. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like, okay, if we're we're talking about another three to eight billion dollars in market cap, if we can just make you more likable, Bob. Mm -hmm. So you need to dress better. Mm -hmm. You need to you need to you know have Loosen some talking up. points. You need to smile more. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, that was the feedback they gave me. My uh, segment producer gave me on Bill Maher. They're like, can oh, you smile kidding. more? <laughs> yeah, you need to um, smile. I think you should smile more here and actually sit up. Scott, you need sit to up? sit up more. Yeah, and okay. there we go. Oh, there terrible you are. posture. You I really do. Posture. I was going to point that out. Um, yeah. It's bad for you to be an old, creaky man if you do that. See how nicely I'm I'm all of those things. I'm all those things. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, but the gun show's in town. I see. That's out. what I thought. Hello. You get to show Hello, <laughs> ladies. Hello. Did it just get a little right, hot back in to here? All right, do so, you believe so, in lust at first sight, or should I walk by again? Hello. <laughs> Hello, ladies. And he's back. You should not be the CEO of Disney. Uh, that is my observation no, from that last no. thing. All right. In any case, it was good that he's doing this. I'm hoping he talks to me. By the way, we're going to play my entire interview with Bob Iger, Smooth Jazz, at Code uh, this coming Saturday. All right. First big story. We're going to get on to our first big story. Vice Media is struggling with a new do or don't. Vice is weighing a deal with Saudi media giant MBC, mm -hmm. which is partly owned by, guess what? The Saudi government, everything's owned by the Saudi government. That means you're dealing, no matter what you do, with MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, who I always call Mohammed Bonesaw. Mohammed Bonesaw. Right, yeah. Vice staffers aren't happy with the potential deal, talking, uh, taking the issue of the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, among other things. But Vice's owners may decide the deal. There's a lot of interesting owners, including Rupert Murdoch, may decide the deal make uh, makes them more desirable as they seek buyers for the company. They've really been struggling. Now, I know you work there a little bit, but what does the Saudis do? They have all this money now, obviously, even more given the energy crisis. Would a deal help Vice's chances of selling or hurt it? I don't, you know, they have deals oh, with it MGM. Help it. This is a, it's a, as, as, as I understand why. it. Explain mm why. -hmm. Well, as I understand it, it's an opportunity for them to do, to start creating content in the kingdom mm -hmm. of Saudi Arabia, which would be yeah. incremental cash flows that would probably yeah. be very profitable, which make would make the company worth more. Sure. So mm -hmm. I think this would be good. The question is- They're doing, the, the, what Scott's referring to is a multi-million dollar music festival in, um, you know, they had organized one, but even, they had done one, Vice had done one. And this is more stuff like that. They've always been pay to play that company in terms of yeah. advertisers and stuff like that. But go ahead. So I would argue that the advice, if I was on Vice's board, I would uh, be a proponent of this deal. Mm -hmm. And wow. it, 
It's easy to be. Oh, Thank you, Trump golf tournament. Well, here's the thing. I think if the government wants to weigh in and impose sanctions on the kingdom of Saudi Arabia for having a leader that kills American journalists, I'm down with that, and I think they should do that. Until then, I think for-profit companies need to be thoughtful about how they compete. And if if we're expecting the better angels to show up, I would I would respect and admire if they decided not to do that. I also I, think there where's is the some line, though. What if Putin? That's wanted to the give hard them part. Money? I agree. What if Putin? I agree. But or... here's in the media what we will do: who, uh, when we're not shareholders and we're not mm-hmm. employees and we're not mm-hmm. trying to figure out a way for Vice to survive, mm-hmm. so the journalists there and the people there actually have jobs. It's very easy for us to be purists. And also, I think there's something to the notion that Western media has been the greatest 24 by 7 running commercial to espouse American values and also to make America a place that everybody feels empathetic for, everyone admires, everyone aspires to, everyone wants to immigrate to. So I do think there is a strategic interest in having American media and influence in in All these right. regions. I don't think it affects them in any way. So, uh, but I want to give you airtime here. You don't think yes, you think I should Yes, because I'm going to meanwhile, another American company may need to address similar questions. The Saudi government and Union of Gulf States have called for Netflix to remove content that offends Islamic values, speaking of values, or face legal consequences. Here, this is the problem. I, I don't think Netflix should comply, but they probably are going to have to. Well, they have a choice. They can comply or not do business there. That's right. Look what, right. Look what every movie theater does. Look at Top Gun. Mm-hmm. They can't even put a flag on the enemy's planes that mm-hmm. Tom Cruise is fighting against because they right. don't want to offend mm-hmm. the Chinese because they can make a half a billion dollars in China. Right. If you're looking for moral clarity, you're not going to find it in Hollywood. No. So, no. I think Netflix will comply. I think they have to. Or not yeah, to or they have to leave. I mean, that's yeah. the bottom line. And uh, Google and Google had to comply, and they decided to leave. So you have a decision, but. But trying to say no, it's it's censorship. Right. Fair, fair point. But let me just say, Vice has a lot of luxury stuff. Like, oh, how dare you do that? I really don't want to listen to it from them. I, I think you're underestimating the editors and the journalists' advice that they would do that. No, I don't think they'll be affected by it. I just think yeah. it's it's. I, I would be uncomfortable working there with that money because I did a 100%. column a couple of years ago saying, yeah. "Look, you can take their money, but let's be clear what you're doing, right?" Like, because I was at a dinner party where they were stack ranking different investors of who's worst. And they were like, Singapore money's the best, Saudi money's the worst, Russian money's the very worst, Chinese money is below that. They were literally stack ranking who to take money from. Um, and and it was interesting, but it, it, just be aware of what you're doing. I would not probably, you know, work for, I mean, I do leave. We do leave when there's things we don't agree with. Mm-hmm. And I live I live with the consequences, but it's it's problematic for people working there, I well, suspect. Uber, I mean, Uber's taking money mm-hmm. uh, from this region. You mm-hmm. have, I mean, unless we're just going to take oh, Canada's- Oh, yeah, Uber loves that money. That, yeah, unless we're right. going to take Canada's money. And I think mm-hmm. there's an argument for for taking their money. And also, you know, Vice has a, and journalists there have a have a decision to make around whether they want to work. Uh, do you remember yeah. Al Gore's company? I mean, Al Gore, yeah, Mr. Mr. Oh, Inconvenient Truth, he sold his company to the Qataris. Yes. I mean, the question is, do you totally isolate them, which in mm-hmm. many ways makes them more dangerous? I mm-hmm. mean, NYU has a campus in Abu Dhabi. Yes, yeah. And mm-hmm. and I'm I'm going to guess it cost us zero. I'm actually going to guess we made money before the thing even broke yes. around there. Yes, yeah, I'm sure. They because did. Given they what want, they offered us, I'm sure. They want great Western institutions. Mm-hmm. One, I think they, they, they want academia. They want great media. 
but they also want, as a, as a benefit, they mm -hmm. want to whitewash some of the bad behavior there. Yeah. But I also think there's some benefit to integration. And also, just being a capitalist, mm -hmm. the cheaper capital we can access as American companies, the more mm. successful our companies, the more taxes, the stronger our military. So I, I don't think this is an easy Let's issue. take that dirty money. No, I think one of the <laughs> things is that, you know, Trump points this out. It's like, you think we're so good? I'm like, no, I don't think we're so good. But I think they're particularly bad this week. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. kind of thing. And they have to have some, some something has to cost for what they did. And, and yeah. it's just too bad. If I'm looking for total fairness, you're right. The U.S. has done all kinds of unpleasant things. But I just, it's still at its heart. In Saudi Arabia, they arrested and jailed and detained a woman who was advocating, was one of the key proponents of getting Uber there and around women driving. And then she got out just relative last year. And then they arrested uh, another Saudi woman. She was sentenced 34 years in prison for retweeting activists through her Twitter account. So it's really okay. in another era. It's another age. It's an, and it's but, but let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. It's weird to be a defender of mm -hmm. the kingdom here. The yeah. Are you getting an investment from them too? I have not. Do okay. you think, although I'm going, and I'll get shit for this, right. I'm going to World Cup in Doha, just as I uh -huh. went to World Cup in Moscow, because mm. I have young boys who are football crazy, and yeah. it's it's amazing. And now you're so, British, so yeah. There okay. you go. Mm -hmm. By the way, Scotland didn't make another World Cup, which is hugely disappointing. I but don't anyways, care. I don't care. The question is, is the treatment of gay people, in your view, less going to more likely or less likely to improve if we become closer to them or if we uh, attempt to punish them by not being involved? Where do you think we have a better outcome? I don't think they, we change them one bit by being there. I don't think we, we make them more liberal for sure. I think that's such an argument, like the same thing. You know, yeah. these anti-gay people came roaring back and everyone was like, oh, everything's yeah. changed. I'm like, no, it hasn't. They just are not talking. I think they, I think many, many types of people, especially of religions that are including some in this country, do not change. You listen to what they say. Agreed. And so, no, I don't think we help them. Okay, but do yeah. uh, there's a lot of, I mean, you can go so many layers here. There's a lot of journalists who are probably um, gay or people of color advice mm -hmm. who want to make, have economic, you know, yeah. I, they have a decision to make. But also, I, I have a tough time sometimes with us being so morally indignant when we're passing bullshit like don't say gay. I mean, yeah, yeah, but that's like, one deal in them. Florida and the law of the land isn't that. So like yeah. we at least don't think it's a good thing. And I think yeah, very agreed. few people do things. Yeah, anyway, we're not throwing it's, gay it's, people it's off cliffs. I think yeah. you just have to aspire to better. And they are definitely... If they wanted good faith, don't beat up on the gays. If they had good faith, whatever. They're never going to. They're never going to. Just they're never going to. Uh, okay. Let me. The best way to punish the Saudis mm -hmm. is to have uh, a kid born in Israel mm -hmm. figure out a way for a a Korean national living in Japan to raise $100 billion from the mm -hmm. kingdom of Saudi Arabia and then all spend right. it all on American office space. Okay. Right. That was, in my view, an example of how capitalism benefits us and draws 10 years of oil wealth out of the kingdom. I would agree. When they were losing all that money, Adam Newman, I was like, yay, right. good. And, uh, Couldn't have happened to nicer people. Um, that's how I felt. And I by felt the good. way, a ride-sharing company, a ride-sharing company uh, or a yeah. media company somewhere in Europe or somewhere else will take that money. So yeah. I, I don't, anyways, all right. easy to heckle from the yeah, cheap seats. Not heckling from the cheap seats. I don't want to do business with them, but that's okay. You can. All right, Scott, let's go on a quick break. When we get back, some more tech regulation, and we'll speak with a friend of Pivot, Mark Bergen. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. 
Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Scott, we're back. Some tech news out of Washington this week. The Senate journalism bill may be dead on arrival that Amy Klobuchar talked about. She thought it was going to work. She withdrew a bill that would have allowed small newspapers to collectively bargain with tech platforms to get paid for their work. Last week, Republicans led by Ted Cruz added an amendment, said they would address uh, potential censorship. It's the same thing that she was worried about, says the amendment undercuts news publishers. This is the Republican thing that they have to have is this whole censorship thing where they want to be punitive, the real stick on this thing. So uh, she talked about it like it was going to pass and then it just, she pulled it. So there you have it. Well, uh, I'm really disappointed. I thought I think Senator Klobuchar is fighting the good fight. Mm -hmm. And as always, Republicans bastardize or pervert this notion of free speech. They decided they didn't want newspapers to have the ability to moderate their own content, which is its own form of suppression of free speech. Mm And here's the problem. The best way to to defeat an enemy is to atomize them. And that Mm -hmm. is what Google and big tech is doing to newspapers. In Mm -hmm. the last 20 years, the number of journalists has been cut in half. The number of PR executives or comms executives at companies has gone up sixfold. So the ratio of bullshit Mm -hmm. to journalism has gone the wrong way by 12x. We just lost... A journalist at the, in Las Vegas was murdered mm-hmm. in a very strange and upsetting situation where he wrote about uh, corruption at a local agency. And so this guy showed up and allegedly stabbed uh, this journalist to death. Yeah, that was some story. He's Here's the shavings of shit on a shit salad there mm-hmm. on that tragedy for him and his family. He won't be replaced. Mm-hmm. The, the amount of money that's been sucked out of newspapers yeah. and the harm it's having on just local corruption. You know, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, I think there's still people covering the big stuff when there's classified documents on nuclear codes in the golf cart room. They cover that. But when you're talking about corruption at a local level, the absolute shit kicking that journalism has taken is enormous. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that we – and I have some history here. In 2008 – when I went on the board of the New York Times, I thought, I'm such a genius. I know what I'm going to do. I know people at Hearst, at Condé Nast, at the FT. I'm going to get all of them to bind together mm-hmm. at the Wall Street Journal, and we're going to present one unified uh, uh, face mm-hmm. to Microsoft, which had a viable search engine called Bing at the time, and Google. And we're going to say, one of you gets to license all of our content, and we're going to pull all of our gorgeous content off of the other one that doesn't license it, and you're going to have a sewer mm-hmm. of bullshit content. And I thought we were going to get 
billions, if not tens of billions. And the first thing that happened was the lawyers of the New York Times came back to me and said, we can't do this. We can't even be in the same room because of antitrust. antitrust. Well, the New York Times would have been out of this bill. It was most, It was aimed at the smaller ones. She, she had done, she had made right. changes she like She extracted that. the big ones. Yeah, she extracted the big I mean, it's just, a lot of people had a problem with this bill. There was a lot, Mike Mazik had a very good argument against it and, and about- What was the, the argument? Uh, that linking has been free. You don't get paid for linking. Like, linking is good mm-hmm. for a newspaper company. There's all kinds of arguments against it. But- Ted Cruz sneaking this thing in and then winning it is just a problem. They tr- they love to blow up everything. That's what they do. They're just bomb throwers and they are not legislators. And so, I mean, she's, as she said, was willing to do all kinds of compromise, but they liked it. They're, they're obsessed on this idea of, of censorship, which is just nonsense. These amendments also help the tech companies, and he's just a piece of work. And they're doing the same thing over on the the uh, the marriage bill, the same sex marriage legislation that Tammy Baldwin and others and Senator uh, Collins is, or I think it's Senator Collins is, is, are working on. They just want it. They let's it, let it go back to the states. Like I said, they haven't changed. That's where they wanted it because then half the country can be discriminatory against gay people. Same thing. They mm-hmm. love to put these things in here, and so you know, I'm not so sure. I, I did push back on her on this bill on the linking stuff. I think the issue mm-hmm. is whether her big bill is going through, which is the antitrust bill. Mm-hmm. Josh Hawley, for example, is not supporting the bill, even though he's big on antitrust. He thinks it's too pro-trust. And it's just, let's see if she can get one of these two bills. And I think the one she wants through is the antitrust bill, which she talked about uh, a lot on stage. But it's really a shame that they that she's trying her hardest to do good legislation. As she said, she's working with everyone and she makes changes and she's not blowing and breaking the internet. And they always manage to like shiv people like her um, on at the last minute with this stuff. And it's always Ted Cruz holding the knife. So anyway, he's a, he's a, what's an anti-legislator? He's useless. He's, and he wants to be president. Republican? He wants to be, yeah. He, no, not all of them. Certainly not. Um, but he in particular is one of the worst public servants that's ever been around, I think. I think he's just a, He's a bomb-throwing narcissist who will never be president, Ted, because nobody likes you. Nobody. And I will I will requote another senator from Minnesota, who Al Franken, who said, I'm the only one who uh, I, I Do you want me to help you? Do you want me to help? Yeah, he, said, he said, uh, I like Ted Cruz more than most senators, yeah. and I hate Ted Cruz. <laughs> that's exactly right. So did his roommate. He's uh, I can see why that's happened. Anyway, we're gonna move on and bring in our friend of Pivot. Mark Bergen is a reporter at Bloomberg News and the author of Like, Comment, Subscribe, Inside YouTube's Chaotic Rise to World Domination. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Kara. So there's lots of criticism of Facebook, which has gotten a lion's share uh, in elections or Instagram's effects on mental health. I mentioned this to Sundar Pichai in an interview. YouTube often gets left out of these discussions. Talk a little bit about that. It's By the way, it's run by Susan Wojcicki, a longtime Google executive, been there at the very beginning. Um, why do you think that is? I think in part because it sits situated inside Google, which is a very savvy company. It's a little bit more mature and uh, just politically smarter than Facebook. For one, mm-hmm. YouTube is you know, tucked inside Google, which is inside Alphabet. So there's a lot of, you know, every time like Sundar is dragged before Congress, it's usually mm-hmm. about antitrust and privacy. And YouTube is farther down on the list. There is they share just less data. We, we only have like the ad sales. We don't have any other financial mm-hmm. figures. And so there's um, less for journalists to, to come over. I mean, I think we should blame I blame myself and the industry, which has largely been covered sort of partly out of Hollywood mm-hmm. and then partly by Google reporters that tend to uh, cover a lot more 
parts of Google. And I think mm -hmm. there's just a structural issue where YouTube, unlike Facebook, is for most people, people it's a utility. Most people have like good mm -hmm. sort of fuzzy relationship with YouTube, especially during the pandemic, right? Like mm -hmm. I did yoga with, I learned how to do like yoga from home or Big mm -hmm. Bread or something. Or like Very similar uh, to TikTok in that regard. Yeah, it's, it's not the same where you don't see mm -hmm. your kooky uncle posting like QAnon memes on YouTube necessarily. Mm -hmm. But there's plenty uh, of that the, on that there, service. It does exist for sure. And mm -hmm. there are like all the, the trappings of, of social media that it, mm -hmm. and like certainly if you're younger than 25, like YouTube is like your tel primary television It screen. also does degenerate really quickly. I mean, I, you know, watching my kids use it, it gets to very yicky stuff pretty quickly. And that was one of the argument I've had with Susan over the many years. Um, one thing that I thought was just recalling because I'm working on my own book, uh, memoir. And one of the things I'll never forget is when the founders of YouTube came to one of our All Things D conferences, and they were on the same program that George Lucas was on, huge Star Wars fans. They came um, they came over to meet him. He just arrived very late for the session the next morning. And I introduced him, and he's already a gruff person in general. And I introduced him. I said, these are the founders of of YouTube and they're huge fans of Star Wars, huge, like crazy fans. Yeah, yeah. And he looked at them and he, he said, you're ruining all of video and all of movies and all of television. He just was like, you're terrible people. And what you do is like throwing puppies on a highway. That's what, yeah. I'll never forget puppies on a highway. And he had it, he had it cold that it was degenerative and not good uh, for art or anything else. And of course, they were like, "We love Star Wars, Anakin Skywalker, whatever." And it was really a fascinating moment. I remember, and it wasn't because they were subsuming him. He had a sense of of something right. else. So, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think. I mean, Viacom sued. YouTube basically yeah. out of the gate after they were bought by Google. And I think I talked to people at Viacom too, which were they're kind of ignoring YouTube a little bit beforehand. Mm -hmm. They were m more worried about, uh, remember Grokster? Mm -hmm. uh, it was sort yes, of like I the do. video Napster that yeah. uh, it was, like studios were obsessed with. Uh, and then after the seal of approval of a 1.6 billion, which was a, a huge eye-popping number at the time. Uh, and so that was, a, that was a critical lawsuit. It occupied so much of YouTube's time and attention. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of their DNA is still built on this idea that they are an underdog that the media industry is trying to attack. Yeah. And, and at the time, Viacom was like, sue They certainly it. had a lot of sloppiness. They had weird, creepy videos on YouTube kids. Uh, sloppiness was the same thing that was happening at Facebook. Scott? Uh, first off, Mark, uh, you look like Elvis. Has anyone ever told you that? <laughs> oh, my God. Maybe Kara did at one point. Congratulations on the book. Everyone's talking about TikTok right now, but YouTube still commands more attention of people under the age of 18. It's still number one. Uh, how would you describe the uh, Google or Alphabet's approach and Susan, Susan Wojcicki's approach uh, to trying to protect stakeholder value and young people? There's a lot of concern around Meta and their approach to young people. TikTok is, is, I think, finally getting overdue warranted scrutiny. How would you describe YouTube's approach to youth and their concern for the well-being. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, one of the themes in the book that I try to get across is sometimes like YouTube will move, the platform itself moves in a direction that Susan often, uh, opposite direction she's trying to push it in and, and many places mm -hmm. that she can't control. And this is one sometimes like without YouTube, the company's own doing, they were able to capture like the youth zeitgeist. And I think if you look, go look at the most popular YouTube channels right now by, by traffic, by volume, they are like ones built for your uh, children under five, like mm -hmm. Kara, for like the, mm -hmm. their nursery rhymes, right? Yeah, they are I'm like- I'm not putting my kids on YouTube, they're, they're move along. They, you know, 
they are a multi-million dollar mm-hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. It's the biggest YouTuber in the world is is Ryan by like success, financial success is Ryan Kaji, who's like nine, mm-hmm. the toy unboxing star. So I think certainly like uh, that is like YouTube has you know they built tools that mm-hmm. make it very like very appealing to to younger audiences, mm-hmm. um, even separate from the YouTube Kids app. Uh, I do think TikTok is a is a viable threat in a way that you know they were scared of Vine, they were scared of Vessel, which mm-hmm. was this uh, video premium vi- video service. They were certainly scared of Facebook for a long time. They were, they were, um, they were, and Facebook. saw themselves as as an underdog. Really, yeah. Uh, I TikTok has successfully, well, TikTok has at least started to pay creators in in a somewhat meaningful way. I think you can argue there's a there's an argument that it's not necessarily it's certainly not at the scale that YouTube. Is and you talk to a lot of creators are like, oh yeah, TikTok is fun. I can break out and have an audience, but like mm-hmm. really, you make money on YouTube, and I don't see that changing. But they are if you spirit if you use a YouTube app, you know the YouTube Shorts, which is their version mm-hmm. of TikTok, and like kind of like Instagram Reels is being shoved at you increasingly as a viewer. A lot of creators are being told like, go hang out on Shorts. It's, so that that's their response. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they're very nervous about obviously like like everyone else losing eyeballs, but they're also. Uh, very nervous that their creator class and base will move mm-hmm. to TikTok. And, and in part because YouTube is just very crowded. It's hard to break through unless you have a million subscribers so, so or let, like a built-in let, let me Let me be more specific. YouTube has been accused of being a platform for the yep. radicalization of young men. Mm-hmm. And do you think that YouTube takes that threat seriously or spends more time trying to delay and obfuscate from those ac- accusations? No, I mean, they're they're quite good at delaying up and, and obfuscation. And I think that's, a, to answer like Kara's first question, that's a major mm-hmm. reason why we, they're not part of the conversation. And, and, and they like Facebook kind of chooses to fight and, and YouTube just stays out of it, mm-hmm. which is very smart in some ways. I have this in the book, which I thought was fascinating detail that, that it, they knew internally that their audience skewed pretty heavily towards men. Mm-hmm. And they were trying, had tried various ways to get well, a stronger female audience to like position Susan as like one of the, she is the most prominent uh, f- female CEO in the Valley and mm-hmm. the only one running a, a social media company. Um, I don't know, Kara, do you think, I don't think they've necessarily succeeded I, in You that. know, what's really interesting, I'm now that we're talking, I'm recalling, she had me out there to talk to her staff at one point, mm-hmm. and this was before it started to really radicalize, but it was clear that they were hmm. worried about some of the political content, some of the, 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 the misinformation, but it was right at the beginning, it must have been 2014, 15, and she, whatever she took over, right when she took over, and... Um, I remember them being agonized, the people who work there. They're like, it used to be cat videos and fun. And now I feel like every day we are facing some very serious societal. They they articulated it then. They were aware of the thing. And then they didn't like, you know, they didn't do anything about it because they were so worried about competition uh, from Facebook and everything else. Yes. And they tend to move. They move slowly. And and I mean, the part I got in the book is unlike Facebook and and Twitter, like Facebook and Twitter can make these changes and it impacts viewers and and their advertising base, right? YouTube has now 2 million plus creators and time even more Mm -hmm. people whose livelihoods are are tied to the platform. And they saw this, right? In 2018, there was a a really troubled woman who was a a YouTuber. Shooting spree. Yeah, who came to the campus with a gun. And and so like that, I I, I think there is, uh, for all the normal reasons why they move slowly and, and there were, uh, risk averse and, and reluctant, and they only are pressed when when it's in the um, you know when there's press coverage or their advertisers actually force them to do something. They are aware that the, they they have ramifications uh, that no other platform really does. Yeah, they, uh, and, they, and that's happened repeatedly. We had always talked about a different YouTube that was cleaner, right? That it was that it, one of the things that they had a hard time. She was always very interested in 
Hollywood stuff, but they never really veered that way, you know, in the way that I mean, Amazon. They tried. They tried. It was to, <laughs> YouTube Red. Times, what was yeah. it? Red? I forget. They had so many. Yeah, they, they had the studios. Yeah, and they had an originals program, which yeah. they just shut down, and Robert Kinsel just left. So, yeah, that's, they basically threw in the towel on that. And why is that? Why does the Amazon has done a pretty good job? You can not like everything that some of it's very good, and Apple's done a stellar job. Um, you know, uh, Facebook has not wandered in there, has tried slightly, but never really has gone that way. Why has, um, I'm recalling a dinner that Richard Plepler had and had Susan next to him, and the conversation mm. between them was fascinating, you know, and she was, she just wasn't a content person the way he was. And so why have they not done the same thing? What, what What's the problem? I think that I I think it is it's Google. It's like that's the point of the book is that this, you don't understand you can't understand YouTube unless you understand Google. Mm -hmm. uh, like Susan before Susan was Salar Kamangar, who was yeah, so. like super early at Google and like yeah. extraordinarily googly. Mm -hmm. um, so there is uh, just this, you know, for lack of a better term, like a cultural philosophy, right? Like YouTube doesn't believe in gatekeepers. They don't believe, they don't understand media programming. And, and it's something, I, I think in part because of their, their concern about liability, they're concerned about getting into more legal trouble or a regulatory trouble. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of it. Um, and the originals program, which was, we're going to make our YouTube stars uh, in scripted TV to kind of compete with Netflix and Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's an argument that if they invested more that that could have been successful. Cobra Kai was one that's now mm -hmm. a, like a, a moderate hit on, hit on Netflix. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I like there was a PewDiePie, for instance, was the biggest star on YouTube for a long time. They had this scare PewDiePie. It was like a reality TV show. It, I watched some of it. Like it doesn't, in part, like people who are PewDiePie fans don't really want to see that, right? They want to see him play video right. games. Right. Um, right. And so I think a part of it is like this gap between the company has a hard time understanding the the creator base i think it's changed a little bit but for a long time mm -hmm. it was their eyes were so set on like traditional media in hollywood like, we have to get them yeah on to to youtube that the they very beginning they used to have these showcases you know that chad ran that would have there was yeah. one down in san francisco and there was this young yeah. star yeah. who was big on it named katie perry and she yeah. sang you know and she was they were they were showing off some of their their people who were doing well on it so they were there but they just couldn't keep going. And I think it had to do with, they spent a lot of their time stealing other people's copyrighted material and then not getting in nearly enough trouble for it and then moving their way through. I think, right. and for a long time, they didn't think that the stars of YouTube were marketable, really. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Fred, you remember Fred was a Fred. really like, like yeah. even PewDiePie, right? Early on, it's like, can and we make money from this guy? terrible things. That, and then it got... Yeah. And then, and then their stars like PewDiePie and Logan Paul... Like, you know, the inevitable happens when you, like, let young 20-something uh, dudes broadcast themselves with no rules. I've always thought that YouTube doesn't get the scrutiny it deserves because it has these two incredible heat shields. Specifically, Meta has been the gift that keeps on giving to Alphabet. And two, as you referenced, Susan Majicki is incredible, incredibly likable and is the most senior female executive. So I think she probably doesn't get the pushback that other executives get some time. And, and in, in certain instances, she gets more than she deserves probably. But I, my question is, as a father of 12 and 15-year-old boys, and I don't know if you have kids, getting to know YouTube as well as, I always feel like someone like you right now knows YouTube as well as anybody that doesn't work at YouTube for, in this moment. Do you think for parents with teenage boys, YouTube is a net positive or a net negative? How would you approach your son's mm -hmm. use of YouTube? Have you have you watched Mr. Beast videos in their entirety, yeah, Scott? I have. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't, like, is Mr. Beast that different than reality TV? I don't know. 
Like there's a lot of wish fulfillment in in Mr. Beast, right? Like he seems so far he's avoided any of the pratfalls of I think it's cute. You know, the, the metaphor that someone the company used was like before 2018, really, it was like cars without seatbelts. Like they mm-hmm. didn't have any safeguards. And and mm-hmm. they put in the seatbelt laws and and have made a uh, big difference. And, and and like the FTC find them around children's privacy. So your your kid who's under 13, like that programming is very different in part because like mm-hmm. the like the regulators actually had some teeth and did something. I think I mean I guess in part the book is a, it's just a it's a call to to like pay attention to YouTube more like mm-hmm. I, there are not I think there should be I mean, there should be academics and journalists like writing about Mr Beast like the, like Game of Thrones like his audience mm-hmm. is that big yeah yeah like we should be kind of scrutinizing like what materials in there uh, and, and in part just YouTube is so undercovered and because like academics have a hard time getting data from the company video is harder to analyze than text yeah. so um, yeah that's my my long winded. Answer. Which is one of the big issues with misinformation, I know, for, for, for that. Let me ask you something from the history. People don't realize this, but Yahoo almost bought YouTube. And I think Gideon Yu was there, was the <laughs> deal maker, as, as I recall. Mm-hmm. And Terry Semmel wasn't going to pay enough, I guess. And one of the things I'll never forget, Sergey Brin telling me, because he was much more involved in the company then, was yeah. we couldn't lose YouTube. He said it to me. He's like, of all the things, there were two, the ad company they bought and then YouTube. And they had Google Video that was not going anywhere. And yeah. I remember the woman who ran it. Um, I don't remember her name, but Jen, I think something like that. Yeah. And he said, we had to have it. It was existential for this company. How important is YouTube for Google now or Alphabet now? Uh, so Sergey, uh, unsurprisingly, didn't speak to me for the book. Mm. Um I don't think he speaks to anyone anymore. Yeah, the the company, actually, I sent him a bunch of uh, fact-check questions about Uh Sergey and Larry. I think that was a mistake. You sound very even-handed on this. I would even say, uh, my sense is you you actually strike an optimistic tone around YouTube, which is not where a lot of journalists Um, go. I I think uh, my sense is that Larry and Sergey cared about YouTube because it was a search engine. It was a powerful, even mm-hmm. even early on, it was a, a mm-hmm. powerful search engine and one that, you know, this was a, that's Google's existential fear, right? Is that, is that someone will beat them in search. Uh, and YouTube remains the world's second biggest search engine. So I think in that sense, it is incredibly valuable to, to Google. It is there, um, you know, it's debatable whether or not social media, I think you call it social media under, if you call TikTok hmm. social media, you certainly call YouTube social media. Uh, it is very important for Google to have an arm in that. Um, to have a foothold there in in that market, uh, especially now that uh, it's moving towards sort of e-commerce, uh, whatever metaversey thing. Like YouTube is the it, it, YouTube is incredibly important for Google. There, it is now the world's biggest music service and probably the biggest podcasting service that no one talks about. Right? Mm-hmm. Like YouTube is is desperate now. They're saying, oh, we've already you're already uploading your podcast. Why not just flip a switch and, and put it yeah. on on YouTube, which is a lot more hours of content. So I think. Uh, it's in, it's a growing percentage. You know, cloud is much more important to, to Google in some sense, but but YouTube is it, it's it's the future growth beyond search advertising, which is the company's been been like you know looking for that for what two decades now, basically. Mm-hmm. So YouTube, my sense is YouTube would be worth a hundred billion dollars plus on its own. Mm-hmm. That the growth and the revenue and the profitability. Do you think there's ever a chance that Alphabet, if their stock were to languish, it would consider spinning it? Um, I, I, it's hard to decouple YouTube from Google's ad tech machinery. Like, Hmm. I mean, this is a little, we like Google's, uh, you know, the the sales team that sells YouTube ads doesn't report to Susan. Like they report up to Google's Mm -hmm. head of chief business officer, like Philip Schindler runs the ads for, for YouTube and like all the back end, like the part of the reasons for YouTube is so successful is because advertisers just give cut Google a check. And then Google's like, we're going to 
run a search ad for you, a display ad, and a video ad, and and we're going to like algorithmically give it to the sort out the best place to put it. Uh, so YouTube kind of loses that, um, mm-hmm. and it it loses a, a lot of its just machine learning power. Yeah, um, that was always which, been their you know, argument. Maybe would have who knows better societal consequences but but also like um so i i think that's unlikely i think it's more likely that google will either be forced to listen i think they're going to be forced to do something i don't think they're going to do something on their own Mm -hmm. will um to spin out like a their ad tech business that's under a lot more scrutiny it doesn't seem like the department of justice is going to to force them to to spin out for youtube no there's too much competition in that area let me ask you a final question for me uh trump uh are they going to, Sundar was very n- non-committal. I think it means they're not going to do a thing. They're just going to keep him off. They put him in like permanent purgatory, which doesn't, I hate to say this, doesn't seem fair because they should make a decision one way or the other, but they sort of purgatoried him forever. Yeah, I I think they're, I don't see them acting before Facebook. Like they just haven't in, in the past. In the past. Um, I think YouTube is diff- more difficult because Trump is, Trump is, you know, he's a big presence on YouTube, and mm-hmm. uh, but he's not nearly as big as he was on, on Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bigger problem for YouTube is the sort of that they, so much of their first 15 years, it's like you and I can go on and be on equal footing with a news organization, with CNN, mm-hmm. with ABC, mm-hmm. right? And and now they've been trying to scramble to, oh, we're going to raise authoritative Channels and, and and so you have like our conservative pundit on on YouTube hosting was it Carrie Lake helped me the uh, mm-hmm, Arizona Carrie candidate mm-hmm. um, talking about how the election was in twenty twenty was rigged and rigged. and you know YouTube's going to have a lot more of that coming up to the midterms right and and how do you there there the company will say like well we want to we've we've outlawed sort of election conspiracies but at the same time if it's an if it's a context of news right we don't want to take down like you and I having this conversation about the big lie versus like me actually promoting that so that mm-hmm. they've set themselves up for this intractable yes. problem. And I think that's bigger. I, I think that, I mean, if, I assume that they're going to, if, if Facebook lets Trump back on, then, then YouTube would follow is my, mm-hmm. is my hunch, but I don't see them as a first mover. Uh, in writing the book, uh, Mark, what was the most surprising thing you discovered about YouTube or Alphabet? Mm, that's a good question. Maybe I, I shouldn't be, it's like a little bit naive, but I was shocked about how uh, they saw the kids, they saw kids' content sort of exploding and, and they didn't know how to handle it, right? And part of this was legal issues. But at one point in 10 years ago, like the biggest channel in the world was this really strange, unbo- it's an anonymous unboxing channel mm-hmm. who ended up being like yeah. a former adult uh, film actress. Um, so I, I was surprised by how uh, people inside the company felt like paralyzed yeah. and just uh, like had no idea what to do under that circumstance. And that was kind of shocking to me. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, also, you had a really good thing that people did know about that Susan almost worked for Elon. She was looking to leave, which was... Oh, yeah. yeah she, that, thing, that, that was also surprising. And then, you know, there's there's like a lot of internal disputes about how much the sort of YouTube's problems should be on, on Susan versus the prior leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's a great book. You should read it. Like, comment, subscribe inside YouTube's chaotic rise to world domination. Thank you, Mark Bergen. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on the book, Mark. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. All right, Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. 
You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Okay, Scott, let's hear some wins and fails. Uh, I have a couple wins. I think probably the biggest win uh, for all of us globally is that Ukrainian troops have mm-hmm. taken back a lot of lost territory. Yeah. Uh, since earlier this month, uh, since earlier this month, Ukrainian troops have taken back an area about the size of Rhode Island. Yeah. And they claim that the momentum was driven in part by Western military aid. Uh, and of course, they, they need more. But this is, this is um, arguably... Uh, a turning point, whether it's the invasion of Normandy, this is this is when Ukraine has gotten off its heels onto its toes. It's a victory mm-hmm. for Europe. It's a victory yep. for democracy. It's also, mm-hmm. um, I think, what we will find out uh, uh, when this conflict ho- conflict hopefully comes to an end. I think we're going to find out that Western mm-hmm. uh, security apparatus and um, covert operations from our men and women. Uh, in our intelligence group uh, and uh, in terms of training Ukrainian forces with more sophisticated weaponry is will have played a huge role. But this is mm-hmm. this is a real this is not only a victory for uh, uh, Ukraine, it's a victory for Europe, it's a victory for the West and it's a it's a victory for freedom loving people all you know all over the world. This is a big deal. Yeah, I agree. I was. I, I think people are, and, and Putin's. There's been a lot of coverage of trouble that he is in because of that. I don't ever think he's in real trouble, but because they have to actually oh, do this, something this, about him. This is, but it's not good. This is bad for him. This is very yeah. bad for him. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And you're even seeing some very brave people in local governments in Russia, which I was just shocked, mm-hmm. who have come out against the war, and they well, do that at huge risk to the person, their their mm-hmm. safety and the safety of their families. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's very exciting. My other win is I've been thinking a lot about um, Serena Williams. And yeah. um, I would argue the greatest athlete of all time, and I'm not into sports, but uh, was Muhammad Ali. Uh, not as much because of his athletic excellence. His win-loss ratio is not the best. Mm-hmm. But what he meant to the sport and the, the world, he meant something much more than his excellence in the boxing ring. And I think... Uh, the Williams sisters uh, probably are going to be uh, – uh, are in that same weight class, if you will. But I was just shocked how overt the racism was uh, the first few times one of the Williams sisters won a big tennis tournament. Mm-hmm. And they didn't like the way they behaved. They were more aggressive. But it was just so blatantly racist. You know, they wanted mm-hmm. – the world of tennis in America wanted – you know, wanted Chris Everett in a nice dress. Yeah, yeah. And it started with Martina Navratilova being aggressive and that's and right, athletic. And then, I mean, she's a straight line to Serena Williams. But go ahead, sorry. But uh, she dominated the sport. And mm-hmm. but again, I think the reason she'll probably remember be remembered for a long, long time, and both of the sisters really uh, mm-hmm. is that Agreed. is not only what they did on the court, but the larger kind of the larger impact they had. 
Uh, so I think it's just a a, a huge moment uh, of of you know recognition for her yeah. and what she meant to the sport um, and what she meant broad, more broadly to America. I think it's a it's a it's a real nice moment, if you will, for it is. her. And Deserves her all the credit. Uh, any fails? Is that fails uh, is how she was treated or? Well, I don't know if that's a win or a fail. I, mm-hmm. I, those are my two. We'll call them what all we right. want. Okay, that's all right. This discussion of TikTok really has to happen. There's just, Wall Street Journal just had a story about internal documents uh, that show that uh, users spend 17.6 million hours a day watching Reels, which is uh, their version of that. And it's uh, TikTok is 197.8. What This is the biggest company in the world, Facebook at this, and they're getting their clocks cleaned, so to speak, from TikTok, just by a factor of 10. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like, But it's not because it's a better product. I mean, it's just show you products do out. They're not doing anything but making a great product. It's the ownership issue we have. And then the other one that I think is interesting that just came out that that, that we'll love to talk about Nick, maybe on Thursday is uh, Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg had a great piece about uh, Amazon spending $15 billion on programming, including sports this year has spent ahead of Netflix 13.6 billion Disney's 9.5 and Apple's 6 billion. So the money still has been pouring in to this space into yeah. the streaming. And these tech as I've told Hollywood people, these tech companies ain't going to give up. Yep, yep, I get it. And then on a final note, Kara, I wanted to mm-hmm. read an email that came into me yes, or that I yes. got that I forwarded to Lara and I asked if we could read it on the show. Yes. The email sure. said the following. Dear Scott, we write as parents to our beautiful nine-year-old daughter, and they name her name, but I'm not going to say it because I don't know if they're comfortable with us revealing their identity, who has a common form of dwarfism. We were disappointed in a moment in last week's episode where you referred to Kara as the tallest M in the room. We are sure you are aware that the M word is extremely derogatory. For some reason, stature seems to be one of the few physical differences where negative comments are still deemed acceptable. You are obviously a very intelligent and eloquent person, and there are many other ways you could have made your point without using that expression. As parents, when we hear that word, it's like a punch to the gut, especially when used by someone we respect. We will always advocate for our daughter, and we hope you will not use that word moving forward. We appreciate your time and consideration, and then their, their names, and they're from the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, other than other than this being a story about uh, you know a white guy finding his his mm-hmm. truth and overcoming you know his his whatever uh, you know internal internal deficiencies. I wanted to, first off, uh, they're absolutely right. And just as I remember in college, we used to use the R word all the time as mm-hmm. part of our common language to describe anything. And then mm-hmm. I remember Timothy Schreiber at, at, uh, at World Economic Forum giving a very powerful speech. You just don't say this. There's no reason mm-hmm. to say this word. Um, I thought uh, the, the lesson here for me or what I want to I want to highlight is, uh, first off, uh, uh, absolutely, I will stop using the word, and I appreciate it, the, f- the feedback. But the lesson to young people is that there's a difference between being right and being effective, and this email is both. Mm-hmm. And that is they're right, but it's effective. Written. It mm-hmm. was respectful. It was civil. And I didn't. it didn't immediately put me on my heels because mm-hmm. what we – I think what you find is um, a lot of times in our discourse – People aren't really trying to be uh, effective. They're trying to be right and pose for the cameras. Mm. And this is how you actually affect change. And also, uh, the other lesson here is that I don't like something, especially among young men raised in Mm -hmm. kind of this Trump era Mm -hmm. in social media, that they feel every time someone comes at them and points out something, that they're supposed to double down and be more politically incorrect and get back in the face of people. I can say what I want. 
That's woke, right. Woke, woke. The the key isn't the key isn't to be right. The key isn't mm-hmm. to double down. It's to evolve. Mm-hmm. So one, I really appreciate this email. It was civil. It was in its own way kind of caring, caring about their mm-hmm. daughter and they also did. being very nice to me. Mm-hmm. And it's effective. They didn't I, assume the worst of you. Initially. 100%. You know what I mean? That's, make... what, that's why it was. They didn't say you, jackass. Interestingly, when people push on the idea that someone's being woke, not to use these words, mm-hmm. you're being kind not that's to use right. them. Why Why do you want to make people feel bad? And 100%. This, why? Why? If, it, if they tell you it makes them feel bad, same thing with you know, they, them, her, like they have to go crazy on this stuff. Agreed. Like let people, uh, it drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. And this is a good example of, uh, I, I met with a big media executive the other day. He's like, why can't I say what I want? I said, maybe you just shouldn't anymore. Just but, because. But you're bringing up a key point, And that is on this issue, it's super easy for me to understand. This is a layup. Mm-hmm. They're right. Mm-hmm. I'm wrong. I see the point. Sometimes mm-hmm. people come after me for stuff that I think I'm not sure I entirely agree, but here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If it's an easy give, Mm-hmm. And they're genuine that it upsets them. Mm-hmm. Make the give. Yeah. Stop using the word. Stop using yeah. the pronoun. It's just, it's be kind. If if yeah. someone is legitimately upset and they share and they represent a number of people reason. who are legitimately yeah. upset, and it's not core to who you are. I mean, it's these, most of the time, these are not big gives. Yeah. They're not big gives. Uh, yeah. You know, there are people in my life that get offended over weird stuff that I find it ridiculous they get offended mm-hmm. over. But the point is, if it upsets them and it's not difficult for you, it's not a big give, Yeah. then just, yeah. just be on the right side of the issue. Correct. Scott, I love how you evolve. You're evolving. There we go. You're an evolving thing. I don't know what you're evolving into, but the organization Little People of America is a helpful post about the M word for anyone who'd like to learn. It's linked in our show notes. Scott, I really appreciate that. Thank you for the letter. Uh, Again, we're not using their names, um, but thank you. It was a great letter and uh, we completely agree with you. Anyway, we welcome all feedback from the show. Even people don't agree with this. We don't agree with you, but whatever. Uh, and questions too, go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question or note for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. Okay, Scott, that's the show. We'll be back on Friday for more. There's the Emmys to talk about. Mm-hmm. There's Mudge. There's all kinds of stuff happening. So again, it's newsy. We're back to school. Our, we are that's ready right. with our pencils sharpened. Or Nobody uses pencils. And we are excited. I'm excited you're back, as I said in the last show. I think everybody loved Happy having you back. back. Can I just, I always note this in a show, but I was stopped four times this weekend by yeah, people in the supermarket, uh, at the plant store, and they were listening to Pivot right then. And they gave me great feedback and they they were thrilled you were back. So I was thrilled yeah, to, I got to stopped say. in the gym this and morning. Christina, I think Joel, um, and they were all great fans. And, and you lovely. like it, right? I would say to people. I love it. Love it. I might come love up it. and say hi. We're friendly. Yeah. I like it. It's nice. Yeah. They came up and they're just great and they really appreciate the content and we appreciate them. So I always like to call them out for that. Um, it's not for self-aggrandizement. It's really always a surprise and always a delight uh, when that happens. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Scott, read us out. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Intertot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Neil Silverio. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. What does it mean to be a grown-up? What does it mean to be a man? It doesn't mean being right. It means being evolving. It means evolving and also taking easy wins to make other people feel better. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. 
Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on home mom? <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. 